The text for this morning's service has been taken from 1 Kings 17, the verses 2 through 6, as we continue our series on the prophet Elijah. The last time we dealt with verse 1, we'll read that once again. This time we read, we'll deal with the verses 2 through 6. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. And then follows the text. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. In response to the preaching, we will sing from Psalm 147, the stances 3, 5, and 6. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, there's an email going around these days. I even had one sent to me, translated from the English into the Dutch, that asks the question, would you run? And then you ask to imagine that on a Sunday morning during a church service, two men enter who are both covered from head to toe in black, and they are carrying submachine guns. Then one of the men announces, anyone willing to take a bullet for Christ, remain where you are. Whereupon the majority of the congregation leaves. Out of 2,000 people in that church building, only 20 people are left. After those people leave, the men take off their hoods and say to the pastor, Okay, pastor, I got rid of all the hypocrites. Now you may begin your service. Have a nice day. And then the two men turn and walk out of the church building. The email then goes on to give us examples of hypocritical things we do and say, implying that most of us pretend to be Christians, but that really most of us are hypocrites. We don't trust enough in the Lord. We're all cowards. Let me ask you, is that also what you think, that those people who ran were cowards? Do you think that in order to prove your loyalty to the Lord your God, you have to take a bullet if someone asks you to, that otherwise you're a hypocrite? These are some of the questions that the story about Elijah confronts us with. Elijah's life is in danger. He has provoked the king of Israel and his cruel wife Jezebel by bringing upon them the punishment of the Lord because of their apostasy. And now Elijah has to face the consequences. He has declared war on King Ahab. King Ahab is a ruthless man. 
If you go against him, you put your own life at risk. Elijah can now experience, can now expect to experience Ahab's and Jezebel's full fury. If he were to stick around, he would surely be put to death. You could be sure that Ahab would have spies all over the country looking for him. For he had said to Ahab that only at his word would the dew and the rain come. Elijah predicted severe drought. And only at his word would the drought be over. And so they would hound him to death until he brought an end to the drought. And if that didn't happen, they would surely kill him. What is Elijah to do? Should he flee? Well, whatever the case, we do know that Elijah has to trust in the Lord. The text shows what that means. In this sermon, we will see that the Lord miraculously protects and provides for Elijah and for all who trust in him. And that's also the theme. And then we will see three things. First of all, Elijah's flight. Secondly, Elijah's faith. And finally, Elijah's fate. I'll say that once again, the theme is the Lord miraculously protects and provides for Elijah and for all who trust in him. Elijah's flight, his faith, and his fate. Elijah is in a very lonely position. We do not read about any support group around him. We don't read anywhere in scripture that Elijah has a family or that he has friends that he can rely on. He appears upon the scene, as it were, out of nowhere, just like Melchizedek did. We do not hear either that God commanded him to go to Ahab and to confront him. He did it, as it were, on his own. Oh, sure, Elijah saw what was going on around him. He saw what Ahab and Jezebel were doing and how they drew the people away from serving the Lord God Almighty, how they served the heathen Baal, The signs of such worship were all around him. It showed in the way the people conducted themselves in their festivities, in their sacrifices, in the way that they indulged in the flesh, in all the things that they said and did. They lived like pagans. The people served the Baal because they wanted to get as much out of this life as they could. They wanted to serve a God of their own making. Now, Elijah was a man of God, of the true God. And what he saw around him bothered him to no end. He knew what it meant to serve the Lord God, the God of Israel. He knew the will of God. It is for that reason that he had no choice but to confront Ahab. And so even though he appeared to go on his own initiative, ultimately it was God who sent him. And that's also clear from what we can read In the rest of this account. For we see throughout that the Lord God is with him all the way. The Lord did exactly what Elijah said he would do. And the people immediately felt the glaring heat of the sun. And the dry winds that sucked the moisture from the ground. The crops soon began to wither. The brooks and the watering holes for the animals began to dry up. Ahab could see and experience God's curse proclaimed upon him and the people. 
he could observe that the God of Israel is alive, in contrast to Baal. And the people knew it as well. For no doubt the news of Elijah going to Ahab quickly spread through the land, and the curse upon the land was felt by all. What was Elijah to do now? Well, the Lord God makes that clear to him. The Lord spoke to Elijah and told him to leave Samaria and to hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. He is told to flee. The Kareth ravine is a lonely and isolated place, not very far from Tishbe, his hometown. By having to go to that isolated place, Elijah is taken out of the picture. No one will visit him there or know even that he is hiding there. And yet the priests and the prophets of Baal are allowed to continue to function. And they can continue to make propaganda for their idol. They can even ridicule Elijah and say, where is that Elijah? Where is that coward? He opened his mouth in defiance to Ahab and he did not have the guts to stick around. And so it would have been difficult for Elijah to leave, but he had to. The Lord God wanted him to wait. He had to be patient. His time, or better said, God's time would come. The Lord God had great things for him in mind for later. And therefore, Elijah is not allowed to put himself in danger. And so his act of leaving is not an act of cowardice. Elijah knew that the Lord God had still many plans for him and that he has an important role to play in making God's great name known. And brothers and sisters, boys and girls, that's how the Lord God works. We can also see that with the Lord Jesus. As we read, the Lord Jesus went into his own hometown and there he announced that he was the Messiah they had been waiting for. For he quoted from the prophet Isaiah the words that point to him and told them that that prophecy was now fulfilled in him. The people were furious and they wanted to kill him. But the Lord Jesus did not allow that to happen. He fled in a miraculous way. He went elsewhere. The time was not yet right. Many things still had to happen before his work on earth was completed. Think also about the Apostle Paul. We read in Acts 9 that after his conversion, the Jews in Damascus conspired to kill him. They kept a close watch on the city gates so that he could not escape. But Paul learned of their plan. And so he had others help him escape by having him lowered outside the city walls in a basket. Paul fled, not because he was a coward, but because he wanted the opportunity to continue to glorify God by his words and actions. He did not want to get killed. He had just been converted. There was so much to live for yet. There were yet so many things to do and to say. And brothers and sisters, the same thing is true for you and for me. Sometimes you have to flee. We do not have to put ourselves unnecessarily in danger. We do not have to allow ourselves to be killed by evil men. It is true that you should not be afraid to give your life for the Lord your God. Elijah wasn't, Paul wasn't, and certainly the Lord Jesus wasn't. 
But these men knew that it wasn't their time yet. That the right thing for you to do at that time was to flee. That's also what the Christians did, for example, in Jerusalem. After the stoning of Stephen, the persecution in Jerusalem started and it became unbearable. And because of that, most of those converts left. And in this way, the gospel was spread all over the world. They left not because they were afraid to confess their Savior, but because they were eager to do so. Think about also the Huguenots in France after the Reformation. Because they confessed the Reformed faith, their lives were constantly in danger. Many of them even lost their lives. When it became clear that they no longer were able to serve the Lord their God in freedom in their home country, they fled. They fled to countries such as Switzerland and the Netherlands. Even today in the Reformed churches, we still have many amongst us with French names. And those names, they date back to the Reformation. One of our sister churches in the Netherlands is even known today as the French church. It was originally made up of the refugees, the Huguenots from France. And what about Guido de Bray, the author of the Belgian Confession? Time and again he fled when his life was in danger. He knew that the authorities were looking for him because he preached the gospel in accordance with the word of God and not in accordance with the prevailing doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church. He was being sought all the time and he was on the run most of his life. He became a fugitive. Many a time he had to clamber over city walls in the middle of the night in order to escape the authorities. And in the end, the Roman Catholic authorities finally caught up with him and they hung him as a heretic. When he was finally caught, he did not deny his Lord and Savior. Had he done so, he would have saved his own life. But instead, he continued to proclaim the gospel to anyone who came to visit, also in prison. And so to flee to a safe place is not necessarily an act of cowardice. Elijah was not afraid. On the contrary, as he said himself in 1 Kings 19 verse 14, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Elijah made himself available as an instrument of God to bring glory to his name. As David says in Psalm 6, verse 5, who praises God from the grave? We are created to praise God and to magnify his name. And that goal drove Elijah. He wanted nothing less than that. For that is why he went to King Ahab in the first place. He saw how the Lord God Israel was being blasphemed. And that grieved him. And so Elijah was obedient. He was a man of faith. We come to the second point. The Lord tells Elijah to go to the Kareth Ravine. He obeys. And there he will be safe. He trusts the word of the Lord God that he will be more than adequately taken care of there. For the Lord tells him that he will drink from the brook and that the ravens will feed him. He will not lack anything. He will be more comfortable there than King Ahab in his opulent palace. For Elijah knows that everything is well between the Lord God and him. Elijah has a clear conscience. 
and he does not expect more from the Lord than he provides. Elijah is satisfied with what the Lord God gives him. He does not bewail his lot and think about all those people who live in much more luxurious surroundings than he. He does not envy them. He accepts his austere circumstances. He is satisfied, and therefore he is a man at peace. And the Lord God does miraculously provide for him. He brings him to a place where he can observe God at work, to a place where he can see and experience how God looks after his creation. There, Elijah can observe firsthand how the Lord God refreshes the animals from the flowing waters of the brook, and how he feeds the birds with the fruit of the land, and how he gives them shelter among the trees and the clefts in the rocks. Everywhere Elijah sees the hand of God, the Lord God reveals his greatness in nature. Isn't that what we also confess, brothers and sisters? Think about Article 2 of the Belgian Confession. It says there that we know him first by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe, which before our eyes as a, is a most beautiful book, wherein all creatures, great and small, are so many letters leading us to perceive clearly the invisible things of God, namely his eternal power and deity. Great and small creatures, it says, are like letters of God to us. Love letters. And if he looks after the animals as well as he does, will he not much more take care of us who are much more valuable to him? It's a rhetorical question that the Lord Jesus himself also asks. The answer is obvious. Of course he will. How do you think this is possible? For this creation lies under a curse. That is what the Lord God himself said in Genesis 3 verse 17. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. That's the curse. But at the same time, the Lord God gave also a promise. He promised a redeemer. He said that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the, of the serpent. In other words, the seed of the woman, pointing to Christ, will destroy Satan and will restore creation to its former glory. It is because of that promise that the world can experience some of the glory the creation had before the fall into sin. To the Old Testament believer, God's benevolence towards his creation was a sign of the coming Messiah. And to us, after the birth of Christ, it is a sign that the Messiah was born and that he walked here on this earth and that he defeated the evil one and that he is coming again to restore this creation to its fullest. Elijah believed the promises of God, and therefore he also believed in the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of his faith, the Lord God takes care of him there in the wilderness. For not only does he feed the animals, no, he miraculously takes care of Elijah as well. Like clockwork, Twice a day, a raven comes to bring him food. 
In the morning he receives bread and meat, and in the evening the same. It is remarkable that the Lord God sends the raven to do that. Ravens are audacious thieves with a loud screech. They're also ugly animals. But that's not all. For the Old Testament believers, ravens were to be considered as unclean animals. The raven was one of the animals the Israelites were not allowed to eat. Ravens were considered to belong to the kingdom of darkness. In Isaiah 34, the prophet proclaims the judgment against the nations. And he says about Edom that the streams will be turned into pitch and that the land will lie desolate. And then he goes on in verse 11 by stating that the great owl and the raven will nest there. And in the book of Proverbs, the raven is seen as an instrument in God's hand to bring his punishment. For it says in Proverbs 30, verse 17, that the eye that mocks a father, that scorns obedience to a mother, will be pecked out by the ravens of the valley. The raven is pictured here as an instrument of death. But here again, God shows that he will use any creature for his purposes, even a creature of darkness. It is only by God's grace that also the raven exists. And he is the one who gives and sustains them their lives. That's also what it says in Psalm 147, verse 9. The Lord God provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. And the Lord Jesus himself also tells his disciples who are anxious about their material well-being to consider the ravens. He says to them that they do not sow or reap and have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. The Lord God provides for his creatures, but especially he provides for the crown of his creation, man with whom he has made a covenant. And the Lord God uses many means to take care of us. Brothers and sisters, we live in an evil world. We cannot escape this world. We also earn our bread from those who are engaged in works of darkness. Think about the greedy corporations and the obnoxious militant unions. In our enterprises, we cannot escape contact with them or even doing business with them. We have to make our living in a world full of evil. In one way or the other, we have to do business with all kinds of forces of darkness. It is impossible not to do so. But why did the Lord God put you and me here on this earth? He puts us here on earth to glorify his name. And that is Elijah's fate, and that's also our fate. If we come to the third point. We are here for God's glory alone. And therefore, we may not partake of the evil deeds of those around us. And that means that sometimes we have to flee. That means that sometimes we have to say no to a certain business deal, for example, or to the evil demand of a militant union. And that means that you, young people, sometimes have to flee from friends who want you to partake in some evil activity. If you stay with them, and do as they do, then in the end you will end up dead, dead to the Lord your God. A believer has to stand up for the Lord God and know that when he does, the Lord God will not abandon him or her, 
just as it happened with Elijah. No, the Lord God will look after you one way or the other, as long as you are obedient. He will refresh you with living water, and he will nourish you with wholesome food. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 4, verse 4, to Satan, when he tried to tempt him, It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Ultimately, Elijah lived on every word that came out of the mouth of the Lord his God. The Lord God took care of him, as he said he would. Elijah trusted him. Elijah chose life. Elijah had to make himself an instrument in God's hand to bring glory to God's name. That was his wonderful fate. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, that's why we also have been put here on this earth. We have been put here to bring glory to God's name in the midst of this evil world. And how do you do that? You do that by trusting him. You do that by walking away from evil if you can. And even if that means that you have to be in a lonely place for a while. Elijah was not afraid to let the Lord God lead him and to dwell for a while in a remote place. Elijah chose to be alive so that the Lord God could use him for his purposes. And that's why he also gives you and me life, brothers and sisters. Let us honor our Heavenly Father with our lives. For he's a wonderful God who protects us and takes care of us from the cradle to the grave into eternity. Amen.